0: When you got a love and it's good like it should be Makes you never want to give it up Cause you know that
1: some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you
0: Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning?
2: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about happiness and giving, and I have been reading this book called The Giving Way to Happiness. Stories and Science Behind the Life-Changing Power of Giving by Jenny Santi, And, you know, we always learn that uh, tithing is really an important thing to do because it just circulates the giving and receiving of the universe. But now there's also scientific real measurement about how happiness is really derived from giving it's wonderful to receive and some of us have more trouble receiving than we do giving so that's not healthy either we need to have that that balance of giving and receiving and if we have something to give it could be little or it could be big it's really an important thing to do in fact the forward is by Deepak Chopra and he says that um, that there you know obviously he is a, a new thought person and he says the more you give the more you will receive because you will keep the abundance of the universe circling in your life and so let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest who is from new york city uh jenny santi was born and raised in manila in the philippines and she has lived in london the french loire valley and singapore and now she's in beautiful new york um Jenny is a philanthropy advisor to some of the world's most generous philanthropists and celebrity activists. And for five years, beginning at only 28, she was the head of the Philanthropy Services for Southeast Asia for the world's largest wealth manager. She holds an MBA from INSEAD, that's I-N-S-E-A-D, and then she went to Wharton Business School. As an exchange student, and she graduated summa cum laude from Ateneo de Manila University, and she attended New York University's Hyman Center for Philanthropy and Fundraising, and she is a chartered advisor in philanthropy, and she's a frequent commenter on the topic of philanthropy, and she's been quoted in the New York Times, the International Herald Tribune, uh, Channel New Asia and on BBC World News, and you can learn more about her at JennySanti.com, that's J-E-N-N-Y-S-A-N-T-I.com. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Marie, for having me on your show.
2: Well, you know, I've been a tither for many, many years, and I really believe in giving, and, you know, I'm not uh, as wealthy as, like, uh, Goldie Hawn, who you have a story about, but you know, I think it's such an important thing to give as much as you, as you can. You know, we learn to do 10% of what we receive and give back. But, there is, but you've done some, some actual research on this. And uh, let's talk a little bit about giving because giving is, is a form of love and receiving is a form of love. So how does giving really change the life of the giver?
1: Thanks for that question. It's been the focus of my interest for the last three years. And in fact, this book, The Giving Way to Happiness, is a book of ideas based on stories of people who have given so much and in the process saw that their lives have changed. And there are five ways that I discovered how giving changes the life of the giver based on the people I've worked with, based on the the over 30, 40 people I interviewed and uh, over the course of eight years of being a philanthropy advisor. And let me just tell you the five ways. Okay. And the first is that giving gives us purpose, and purpose is something that we're all looking for, and giving leads us to that. The second thing is that giving elevates our careers into not just jobs but callings. And then the third thing is that giving helps us to overcome or transcend very painful experiences in life, whether it's the death of a loved one or our own mortality or a collective tragedy that we go through as a community. And then the fourth thing is that giving together with our family members, together with our loved ones, allow us to form closer bonds with one another when we share a common, a common purpose, a common interest in a cause beyond ourselves. And finally, giving allows us to gain a sense of significance beyond material success.
2: Yeah. So let's, let's give like an example of each of them, uh, if you could. Let's go mm-hmm. back. Well, purpose kind of is self-explanatory, but you want to give us an example for each one of those?
1: Sure. Well, just quickly on purpose, I met a uh, five-year-old boy who was five years old at the time that he started his own charity work and now actually has a foundation that he's running uh, at 11 years old. My gosh. Mm. And can you imagine? Purpose is something we are looking for, and at five years of age, this little boy, Joshua Williams, tells us that he's found his purpose. Hmm. So that's just one story. And another story is on um, the idea of finding uh, a career that, that makes a difference and how that leads to the sense of having a calling, not just a job, right? Right. So, you know, there's so many examples these days because... I think we have entered an era where it's cool to be good. 10 or 20 years ago, if you got out of a good school, you'd probably be working in Wall Street. And now it seems to be as a general consensus that it's way cooler to be a social innovator than it is to be a banker or a right, professional. Right. So I've got so many stories of young people, millennials, uh, mid-career professionals finding purpose in a career that allows them to help others and make a difference. And the third thing is on recovering from very painful experiences. And I've gathered so many stories on this, but let me share with you the story of Petra Nemkova, whose name might ring a bell to some because she's a supermodel who's done Victoria's Secret, Sports Illustrated, and other prominent campaigns. Right. And way back in... December 2004, she was vacationing in Thailand mm.
2: together with her
1: fiancé, Simon, when the Indian Ocean tsunami hit. Right. And Simon was swept away by the current and he was never seen again. Mm. While Petra was badly injured, she broke her pelvis and was told that she might never walk again. And Petra is a model who who um, struts down the runway and that, that's her work. Right. She was told it's probably over for you and you know what what Petra did she she was in the US recovering from her injuries and mourning the death of her fiance but you know what she did barely a year after the tsunami while she was still recovering from her physical and emotional wounds she went back to Thailand and she set up the Happy Hearts Fund with the vision of rebuilding the schools and the lives of the young victims there. Mm, and yeah. so she told me that, that through this she was able to transform her grief into strength and a new passion for life. And that completely changed her outlook. And she even said that by giving uh, in, in this case, you know, giving giving her time, giving her giving herself to the the, the cause and helping others We're going through the same thing. She said, You can heal faster emotionally, but also heal faster physically. And she said, There's a selfish element in it, really, because when we make someone happy, we become even happier.
2: That's right. You know, it, it's just like when you give a gift to someone; it feels so good, and especially if they're happy and they smile, it just gets your oxytocin going, right? I mean, it is mm-hmm. really something that you emotionally feel. That's that's a beautiful story. Let's talk a little bit about how it brings closer bonds to families and friends.
1: Well, let me share with you a story uh, that Goldie Hawn told me. Goldie Hahn, the Academy Award-winning actress, and um, for the last 12 or so years, Goldie has been dedicating her time to the Han Foundation, which helps children strengthen their uh, emotional um, emotional skills. So that's what's been going on in the backdrop. So anyway, the story is that one day, Goldie was at home uh, and her son, Oliver Hudson, was visiting her. And after a while, Oliver said, all right, Mom, I got to go, got to get running. And Goldie asked, so what's the plan? Where are you going? And Oliver said, "Uh, actually, Mom, I'm I'm going to the kids, the children's hospital, because I volunteer there every now and then, and I, I read to the sick kids. And Goldie said that, she had no idea that Oliver was doing that and that she just welled up in tears realizing what her son was doing with his spare time. And this is just an example of uh, not only a mother and son sharing a bond over you know, caring, caring for others, other people, other causes beyond just themselves, but also about how kids learning more from what you do
2: right. And what
1: you say, and how uh, when you when you walk the walk, the talk might not, not even be necessary. Right. Talking about values, I mean, it can only mean so much until you actually show it. And go, and it, in this case, Oliver saw that his mother was very involved in charity work and decided that he was going to do the same thing.
2: Yes, it's beautiful. That was great modeling for her, right? Modeling for her son. Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: let's talk about the fifth one.
1: The fifth one, finding meaning beyond material wealth. Well, there are so many stories of people who have um, gained so much wealth and prominence and tell tell themselves or or, or are convinced that their life has no meaning. So let me share with you one example of um, a a person named Mo Ibrahim, and he's actually the wealthiest black man in the United Kingdom. He made his fortune in the telecommunications industry. Uh, His company sold for... I think 3 or $4 billion, something astounding like that. Mm-hmm. And he told me that just as he came into great wealth, because he came from, from very humble means. Uh, take note that, that Mo Ibrahim actually uh, was born in Sudan, and then he, he came into great wealth through a series of um, fortunate incidents and being in the right place at the right time and a lot of hard work. And Mo said that when he came into great wealth, he actually developed this, paranoia that people just wanted to meet him, just wanted to be friends with him because they were after his money right. and everyone wanted to get something out of him every single time and he said that that uh, time in his life also made, made him feel like, you know, you can't really eat any better, you can't dress any better, you you can't live any better. So what do you do now? It becomes meaningless. It's um uh, what are you gonna do? You're just gonna play golf <laughs> and All watch the, the sunset. <laughs> yeah. So he said that he decided that he would um devote his uh, time and part of his wealth towards philanthropic work. And you know what he said? He said that this completely transformed his life and that his, he has completely transformed the friendships that he had, the nature of relationships, interactions that he had with people, and that uh, he, he no longer feels uh, paranoid that people just want to use him. In fact, he feels, he feels great that uh, his life has his meaning and his wealth has meaning now because he's able to help others.
2: Right. And we th- we see others like Bill and Melinda Gates and so many other people that are doing such wonderful work with their giving. And so, you know, sometimes people think, oh, money is the root of all evil. But if you don't have money, you can't give money. You can't do the good in the world. So I think, you know, it's how we think about money. Money is really energy. And when you give money, you're giving energy. You're giving loving energy to help other people. So it's uh, it's really beautiful. But I think, you know, when the economy is bad, when when things are rough, people don't really recognize that. Let's talk a little bit about really what is a philanthropy advisor do? That's what your career <laughs> is. What, what do
1: you do? Yes, yeah, it is my career. But the truth is that, you'll discover you'll probably notice in this book that I, I hardly use the word philanthropy or philanthropist because even though um my clients are uh what 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 you would call philanthropists because they're giving them a big scale that's precisely why I don't like it. I don't like the word because the truth is that any one of us can be a philanthropist, but that word itself makes us feel that there's a there's a division between those of us who can give in the Bill Gates, Warren Buffett um, levels, and those of us who are just trying to scrape by. And I would rather use the word giver because each of us can give. I mean, all of us can give uh, a little bit of our resources, our time, our talents, our energy to different causes, different people, organizations that we care about. Right, And as a philanthropy advisor, my philosophy is that we shouldn't be giving until it hurts. Rather, we should give until it feels great. And the way we give should, of course, be making a positive impact in the world, but also be personally rewarding, fulfilling, life-changing, and even fun for us.
2: Yes. You know, I have uh, people at our spiritual center. They, some of them, you know, are really, they're retired, they're living on limited income, but some of them volunteer at the church or they volunteer to, you know, help with the homeless or they volunteer at um, animal shelters. And that is a way to really, really give of yourself. And they feel good about that. They feel so rich and they're not just sitting home saying, poor me, I'm sick or poor me, I have no money, it just um, it transforms the way they think because they realize they are so rich with their talents and their time. So it just makes a lot of sense to me. Let's talk a little bit about the science behind the, the joy of giving.
1: <laughs> well, yes, I put a... a a section. I mean, many sections in this book about the scientific backing for all these ideas, because uh, there are many skeptics out there, and we've all heard that giving feels great, is better to give than to receive. But is there really any science to back that up? And the the truth is that there is. There's a lot of incredible evidence uh, that demonstrate the mental health benefits of giving, the physical health benefits of volunteering, and let me just name a few things. For example, now through fMRI technology, we can now look at um, the brain. We can look at a brain scan and know that when we give, there are two brain reward systems that are activated. And these are precisely the same parts of the brain that are stimulated by food and sex. And so mm-hmm. these are the pleasure centers of the brain that are activated when we do things uh, such as giving and mm-hmm. And another another idea is, uh, you know, the runner's high, right? The the feeling yeah. exactly <laughs> that we get from um, vigorous exercise such as running and so... There's actually an equivalent of that, that that researchers call the helpers' high, which is the powerful physical sensation that we get when we help others.
2: Great, great. What about um, you know? There's the phenomenon of donor fatigue mm-hmm. um, when helpers really get tired of helping. We'll ta- let's talk about those four stages of burnout and the nine ways to to really combat that compassionate
1: <laughs> absolutely well, you know on one hand giving can feel really good but the reality is that giving can also make you feel really depleted taken advantage of and sometimes even angry uh, or just plain tired and tired of it all and if you're a donor you might at some point get disenchanted and a lot of charities are really cheerless. A lot of nonprofit workers burn out and getting asked for things all the time, it could really get annoying at some point, especially these days that there isn't a day that goes by that we don't hear of a solicitation or we get a letter in the mail an email from someone asking for help. So we experience what we call donor fatigue and This becomes widespread too because often, so often in the media, we see and hear uh, decontextualized images and stories of people who are going through suffering, time and time again. And so uh, we just become immune to it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so about this donor fatigue, what I realize is that the biggest reason for donor fatigue is. Not that donors are broke, because nearly all of us can give a little more. And the reason, the biggest reason for donor fatigue, is that a person's generosity is not well matched to his or her passion. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I, um, I do a lot of pro bono work as an attorney, and. I'll do things and um, sometimes people will just keep coming back and I try to wean them off me to give them resources to do things on their own. If they don't have any money and they, they need some help, I'll give them lots of resources, but then they want me to do it. And then I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, you know, I give and give and I I have a tendency to give too much. But then if I if I'm not appreciated or I or the people just become dependent rather than learning, you know, from the resources I give them, then I feel like they I am enabling them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, yes. So
2: it's, a, it's it's, tough because I, I want to give. I, I mean, I even do this show as a volunteer, and it's mm-hmm. a labor of love. But when people start to just take advantage and you don't feel appreciated, you don't feel that they are, um, you know, being... understanding that you're a human, too, and that you only have a certain amount of energy. I think that's something that that gets to me, at least.
1: Yes, I can understand that. And it's true. Helpers get burnt out and tired of helping. And here's what, let me just share with you the things I learned along the way from having interviewed so many people who uh, are happy, are happy to give and and, and not... um, experiencing the sense of burnout that you talk about. So there are ways to move from this sense of fatigue to a sense of satisfaction or you know, compassion satisfaction that makes the work worth it, the strain of the work worth doing. So to move from compassion fatigue or donor fatigue into compassion, you know, what I call compassion satisfaction, here are a few things.
0: Okay.
1: First of all, take care of yourself first and practice self-love. So just as when we are on an airplane and, you know, when the flight attendant instructs us that in case of emergency, when the oxygen mask goes down, Make sure to put it on yourself first right. before putting it on a child next to you. Uh, in the same way, you know, when we give, we should take care of ourselves first because we cannot come from a point of uh, emptiness, and that we we should be able to take care of ourselves first. Right. And then the other thing is that we should find more hands-on opportunities that allow us to directly experience the positive outcomes of our work. Right, right. And then the third thing is that we should learn how to say no. Learn how to say no to the things that don't matter as much to us. And that's the only way that we can say yes to the things that deeply matter to us. Because if you think about it in the the volunteer sector or, or when we're doing charity work when we're helping people or causes it's often not a choice between good and bad right it's often a choice between good and good so we should also think about what is what is good for us what what does what among all these different things that we can do to help what makes us feel good what makes us feel fulfilled and we should do that. And learn how to say no to the other things. Right. And then the other thing is that we should find strength in a group of like-minded people who are also passionate about the same things. Because the work will get hard, and which is why we're helping in the first place, right? So this community of like-minded people, uh, whether it's friends, family members, uh, or people we meet along the way, they are the ones who will keep us strong and committed and... Um, we need that. We need them in our lives to be able to um, stick to the the thing that we, we care about the most.
2: Yeah, I know. For example, um, there's many organizations that I belong to. So we'll get together, and for example, we'll we'll make packages to send to the military. So we get together, you know, on a on a Saturday morning, and everybody helps to make the packages, and it's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a fun thing to do. Or, you know, um, we belong to a yacht club, and, and what they do is they have a Christmas party for all the children that are military children, which we have Camp Pendleton nearby. So they have a big party, and they give lots of gifts to these children that don't really have that much. So. That's it's a fun thing. So sometimes making it really a fun thing does relieve some of that stress and some of that pressure. And I think it's just hard with the holiday season coming because my mailbox is filled with every place that I've ever given. Because I give a lot of (laughs) my treasure, and then you know I get doctors without borders, and I get you know uh, humane society. I get. I must get, like, I'm already getting tons of stuff, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that makes it hard, and you're right, just, you know, choosing what really is uh, our passion and, and then giving from our heart, right? Yes. Ask
1: yourself, what do you really care most about? What is your passion? What keeps you up at night? What bothers you? What what ticks you off? What What makes you tick? And... Align your giving to that. That's
2: beautiful. Well, we are just about out of time. This wonderful book, The Giving Way to Happiness, Stories and Science Behind the Life-Changing Power of Giving by Jenny Santi. Jenny, just give your website, and then it's going to be time for us to go.
1: Okay, great. So my website is com. That's J-E-N-N-Y-S-A-N-T-I.com. And the book is available now wherever books are sold. And it was such a pleasure being in your show. Thank you so much, Mary.
2: Well, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. This is especially a time when we want to give of our hearts and our soul and be thankful
1: you keep up the great work. Keep in touch. Okay. Thank you. And I just want to close by saying, let's give not until it hurts, but give until it feels great. Oh, that sounds perfect.
2: Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks.
0: expressed in this program do not reflect
1: those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.